This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Bryn Snelling. Bryn is a Forbes contributor and in strategy analytics for Retail Union. I'm excited for her to be here. Welcome to the show, Bryn. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Really appreciate the time. I'm glad to be here. So glad to have you. So Bryn, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my past work experience is always on the tenant side. So I worked for Bonobos and WeWork. Um, I currently work for Retail Union, which is a retail advisory firm where we help build uh, data-driven real estate strategies for brands. Uh, And my role is really on that data side. So I take data from clients as well as third-party data and build those real estate strategies. And then our team goes out and implements that strategy. Amazing. And is there a store that like is open now that like is near and dear to your heart because you had worked on it for so long on an analytics, either at Bonobo or maybe a a strategy at WeWork or something you're working on now? Yeah, I mean, I helped open over 40, 50 stores at Bonobo. So a lot of the ones that are open are ones that I was part of. Um, And then at Retail Union, we work with clients like Rowan, Purple, uh, Bonobos as well, Interior Define. So we've been involved in a lot of those. That's so cool. Um, so when you're looking at the, so walk everyone through, like, what is that? You know, we hear all these like terms today, analytics, third-party data, and using that to drive real estate insights. What does that all mean? What are you doing? <laughs> what, what is Bryn doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's really changed. It's become very unique in that we have e-commerce first brands that have a ton of customer data, so they know where their customers live. And we're able to take that um, and tag it to demographic data and actually show them where their customers are and also where they shop. Uh, And then we also look at the shopping centers and look at the trade area and the people that go to those shopping centers and we're able to say, hey, like 80% of your customers shop at this location. And so there's really a way to connect with you that is quite impactful for building retail real estate strategies and deciding where to open locations. But there's certainly a lot of opportunity, I think, for more brands to use it. And that's super helpful. You mentioned where the customers are. One of the things I was always wondering in like some old school real estate is like, I'll use a LinkedIn term, is lookalike audiences. You know, a lot of like DTC brands, they figure out like, all right, a lot of our customers here, this is a good market to penetrate. And here's the suburbs in that market or whatever it is that we're going to penetrate. Do you ever do stuff like, hey, I'm going to use two random markets, right? We... Our top, our top customers are in uh, Vancouver, but, and we're, we're going to open up some stores there, but, you know, oh, I don't know, 
Charleston, South Carolina's demographics and people are just like this. They just don't know us there. So that's a good spot to open up a store. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And usually what we'll do is both. Um, usually we'll test out a market where we think, hey, there's a lot of potential there, but maybe you don't have the brand awareness and see what happens. And we actually find some of our clients do incredibly well in those markets just because of, to your point, we've identified that the customer is their customer and that there's a lot of opportunity. And sometimes it's just that, you know, there's nothing like them in the market. Uh, maybe there's no mattress store that exists there, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so certainly it happens, but obviously the safer bet is to go where your existing customers are. And then I think as you get more into your expansion plan where you're at store 20, 30, et cetera, then you start to experiment on those smaller markets. So, you know, I think a lot of people are always wondering, like, there's data and science, but there's also a human art to like site selection, market selection that doesn't show up. There's like anecdotal information. And where do you stand mm -hmm. on the human component? Like, yeah, I know the data says this, but this is what the data doesn't get. Especially in real estate. It's yeah. such an old school sport. So. Yeah, a hundred percent. So we start out with the data and that's really the idea is that that's the, you know, block, like the building blocks of our strategy where we present that data-driven strategy and then our team that is well-versed, you know, they've been doing this for decades, uh, a group of very talented brokers, they then can go in and say, you know, we know that this center is doing incredibly well right now where we know, you know, there's no vacancy in this location. So there's no point in tackling that market at the moment. Um, so obviously there's a lot of that that goes into it as well. Got it. Um, yeah. Okay. Super interesting. I, I wonder, so tell us, you know, we're at the holiday season here. We're going into 23. I say retail, I say 2023. What's first thing that comes to Bryn's mind? Uh, well, one of the things I think on the big, like it's starting talked about a lot is the fact that brands aren't getting, especially younger brands, aren't getting the investment or the funding necessarily as they would because of the inflation. So I think going to 2023, something that is really top of mind is the fact that some of these brands might fall out and make room for, you know, other ones to come in and take uh, rent or take space in a lot of these set top centers that have incredibly low vacancy right now. Um, you know, we're, we have a ton of brands that are on wait lists in class A centers. Uh, and I think that there will be more opportunity for that in the, in the next year. Interesting. So mm -hmm. if I understand what you're saying in, and so you have some brands that are on wait lists, which is, I'll be honest, is near and dear to my heart that there's wait lists out there for, uh, for, for spaces. It's, uh, it's been such a good year that there's wait lists I, I, I dream about my team coming to me and saying, here's the wait list. Um, <laughs> I do. Uh, so that's great. But what you're saying is you think there's going to be, there's a lack of funding for some of those, some brands who are occupying spaces today. 
and therefore they might close some stores? Yeah, close or even make the decision not to open um, when they were meaning to just because of lack of capital. Unfortunately, that's just one negative side of 2023, but I think there's an upside to it as well and that it's going to right set some of your it's opportunistic and you're hoping for a little bit of that. I think um, I think that's interesting um, because that could be a way for you to shake some trees to get some spaces that you might not otherwise get. So sure. Uh, yeah. What's number, what's number two on your, uh, I say retail in 2023. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other thing is that obviously we've seen a lot of retail brands, uh, direct to consumer brands, open locations in the past year. And I think it's, incredibly it's become known as an incredibly valuable marketing channel and i think that's going to continue to be the case um i i'm sure you've heard obviously like paid media has become incredibly expensive and a lot of ceos that i talked to for forbes articles as well as clients have said that you know they've found these locations have really helped them acquire new customers so i think that's going to continue to be a big reason that companies open stores in the next year as well. oh i ha we have a we have a deck at DLC I'll send you called the store one. A um, mm -hmm. uh, little fun play on the, uh, you know, e-commerce versus physical. And, uh, and yeah. one of the lines that I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying I created it, but I, I say it the most is on, online customer acquisition cost is the new rent. And, um, yeah. you know, this whole notion that online, you don't have to pay rent, but if you look and we did a study of like mature retailers and you looked at their customer acquisition costs, i.e. marketing and their occupancy cost and the combination of the two, and you look at that compared to a lot of mm -hmm. like the, what, what were online only brands. The combination was less than just the customer acquisition cost alone of a lot of online only brands. And so, you know, when I look at it and I go, you know, it's so high and I, I should grin at sometimes when we're talking about this, cause I think it's just talking on the, that like some brands are talking about opening stores for marketing and or experience, even though they're super important. I keep saying like, yeah. how about we're opening stores because it's where the profit is. It's the best place to make a profit because selling online, my wife orders four and returns three. You make no money and pays no shipping. Yeah. yeah. And I, she doesn't have to pay for returns and she does that a lot. You make no money when my wife buys that from you. But, and, and so, you know, we keep talking about the store as like a place for paid media, uh, a place of marketing a place for connecting with consumers and the experience. I think those are all great. I keep waiting for the headline. I, I feel like one of the few were saying it. How about it's just a good place to make a profit? Why aren't we saying this enough? Because of how challenging last mile, reverse logistics, the, the customer acquisition costs, all these things to make a profit online. Why is no one saying like, hey, I, I, the entry point, for an e-commerce, like if Brynn and Chris want to open up a t-shirt shop, the cost of entry is a lot cheaper. We're going to open up a t-shirt shop online. But to scale, like you get to like over $10 million in revenue, 
if you start scaling and you're, you're shipping to multiple markets, like profit, it's like, ah, it's not about profit. It's about how, how do we grow market share? What about profit later? What about the store as a place for profit? Yeah, no, it's true. And I think the challenge, but it's something that we've been really trying to figure out is the challenge is how do you quantify the impact of a store? Because I think a lot of the times they'll say, oh, on a four-wall basis, it's not a low enough payback for us to justify a location. But there's a much larger impact that a store can have on other channels, right? On your wholesale channel or on your web channel. And I think being able to quantify that impact will actually open up that conversation more to say that we're actually driving profitability. My, my quick response to that is, my response to that to anyone would be, okay, but if you're, because of customer acquisition costs, if you're losing money every time you ship an item to my wife, well, then what are we talking about? Like, you don't like the four wall return on that, but what's your return on my, my wife buying six, returning five, paying no shipping or no return fee? That's a loss. It's not, it's a loss every time, mm-hmm. no matter who the retailer is. It could be, that's a loss. Like, you know, I, and that's what, that's what I don't understand. Like I get that, but the other one could be a real big loss. Yeah. I think the kind of conversation about web is a little more flexible in that. Yeah. They'll see that as a loss, but there's also this element of it building valued customers, right? I'm sure your wife has become a valued customer because she's been able to do that at many locations. And so there's this lifetime long-term value that they've gained from her and I think that the conversation around physical locations is still kind of outdated where it is so traditionally looked at on a four-wall basis that very rarely are people opening their mind to looking at it as on a market level or on, you know, a whole omni-channel profitability basis. Well, the good news is, is that at the moment anymore, anyone of scale or like, I don't know, not even at scale, like 10 million or more, there's virtually no online only brands that don't think they need a store. They all believe they need stores now and that physical retail is a piece. Yeah. So that to me is a, a really important part. So I'm excited about that. I, you, you make a good point on that, but like I look at, there's like a couple of retailers where there was one who went public and they, they were online only 65% of their revenue came from the stores and there's average stores like four wall, 30%. EBITDA, if the entire company wasn't profitable. Mm-hmm. And so that's how much the drag the online was. I was like, if this was like operated like a small business, like back in the 60s, the simple answer would be, we're not going to sell online anymore. That would be the answer to that business if it was running like the 60s or 70s, where we're talking about making money. And it's so interesting. We've gone to this other place where it's been about valuation and growing revenue and Mm-hmm. To your point about the funding piece, I think we're going to get back to some basics where profit's going to matter. And I think that's yeah. going to be good for the store, right? When, you know, capital's more expensive than it ever, ever was for a lot of these brands. So I don't know. Yeah, that's one of my predictions too for 2023 is that I think brands will need to reach profitability sooner because they're not going to get the investment that they need and they're going to have to fund you know, store investments or whatever other commitments they have. So like what they, and I'm so biased. I recognize that. But like, to me, like 
profit matters? Like the easy answer one is the store. It costs more. It costs more. I recognize the infrastructure cost, but it's profitable. You know, uh, it, it's just, and proven time and time again over the course of since the first retail marketplace in Turkey in Istanbul in, you know, before BC or whenever it was when the, they, they had the, the traders coming from the Far East. This is, this is a profitable endeavor. I think there's going to be more. A lot of these brands are going to, yeah. I think they're going to go some wholesale too to get to profit. I think that's going to be a piece. I don't know. There's going to be more, more wholesale. Um, you know, obviously the Nikes, they're yeah. going the other way. They're going Not- more. But... Yeah, one thing I'm seeing is a lot of like shopping shops as well. So even I was actually just talking to Lunia and I'm going to be writing an article, but they have a rest shop within their store. So they've actually brought in other small brands to help sell in their store. And, you know, you're seeing that across a gazillion stores right now, obviously like Ulta and Target and Sephora and Kohl's. And like, I think there's just going to be more and more of that because they want to reach a larger audience and have a physical presence without the extreme capital investment of having their own location. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I got one for you. This is like my top prediction for 23. You ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Retail traffic's going to be significantly up. So I'll give you one in 2020 at, at, at retail properties. So again, I'm biased, but here's why. So like, you know, 20, you, you mentioned wait lists. 2022 was like record leasing years, but because of like supply chain, tr- trouble getting building permits, labor challenges, a lot of these stores aren't opening that signed in 22 till 23. We got a, a huge backlog of stores that were supposed to open in 22 that are opening in 23. And I think people are going to want to check out the stores, see what they're all about. Um, and this isn't being talked about in headline news. I, and I'm in the weeds of it and I'm seeing my peers in, you know, who have all these backlog of signed leases of tenants. Like they're just started construction. They're getting close to construction. They're going to open Q1, Q2 of 23. I mean, we signed a lease in the beginning of this year. That's not opening till fall of Q23. Um, you know, we just we just signed a lease with Nordstrom Rack, and they just announced it. We just did a rack deal in our center in Allen, Texas, and we signed it a couple of months ago. But we're like working toward a that's going on this like you know everyone's talking about record leasing year twenty two. It's not opening till fall twenty three. You know, so I think there's a lot of that, which I think is yeah. going to be a good thing for foot traffic at properties, which I'm sure you use as an analytic in your analysis. Yeah, Placer is our best friend. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Are I you a Placer guru? Because if yeah. you are, we're obviously we use Placer. <laughs> but are are you like a guru in the platform? Yeah, we I use it pretty much every day. Interesting. So, uh, I talk to them a lot. I just had a big meeting with them. So, um, we're doing some projects with Placer here. So. Do you use any other location analytics platforms other than Placer? Yeah, we use some third-party data that we put into Tableau, and then we use um, ChainXY as well for just information on store closures. So one of the things I'm curious about, you're looking at it. What metrics are like you looking at in Placer? That would be fascinating to me. That would be fascinating because I think everyone's looking at different things. There's like a million things 
you can slice and dice it. What's Bryn? Bryn's going into place every day. What are you looking at? <laughs> I mean, obviously the foot traffic of the center is a huge thing. So I'm curious to that, right? So I, foot traffic, great. So I think we do all the two. Are you, when you say foot traffic, are you looking at number of visits? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a fascinating one. I've been in this number business a long time. And so I first saw this and then we've been a customer for a while now. And I go, okay, this has a million visits. Great. What the heck does that mean? What's it? A million visits. I, it does, if you don't do something with that data, I think like it, it, it's less actionable. So you're like, when you think and you look at the foot traffic and the visits, how are you, how are you really diving in for it to be actionable or something that matters to you? Yeah. So I can give you an example. So a client, I just, I just built their strategy for 2023. And what I did was I actually took uh, the traffic of the center, so the foot traffic, but I also took, we use, we have attached demographic data to Placer. So we can pull household income, um, say age groups, um, spending patterns, et cetera, on a radius basis from the trade area of a center. So we take all of that data. And then what I'll usually do, because each client is totally different, is do some like linear regression stuff to determine whether there's a correlation. And we actually found that the foot traffic had a very high correlation to their sales, to the top line sales. Uh, so we identified that as a strong metric to consider when we're looking at locations, but that's not the case for every client. And that's why we really do look at different data points, depending on, you know, obviously the demographics and the data points that matter or that have a correlation. So, whatever. so that's interesting. So that makes, sorry, that makes sense to me, but you've done linear regression where the traffic doesn't really line up to sales. Not exactly. Yeah, no, there's sometimes it's very, very low correlation. Um, Why might that but, be? But it's not not there. Um, I would say in situations where the brand maybe is not, like is, has a bigger online presence, has a bigger brand awareness in the city that they're in. So we, we look at sales per household, for instance, for brand awareness. And that tells us that a lot of people in that area are already aware of the brand, et cetera. So maybe the traffic won't be as important because people will be going there as a destination. Hmm. Very interesting. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, we've done things like where, you know, we have a database of some tenant sales, right? And then you can see the foot traffic and you can divide that out, the foot traffic, the visits per store to get to an, an average, an average, uh, ticket volume per foot traffic, right. Uh, per customer. And then you can just take that and like when you see, or an average dollar amount per, per person walking in, and then you can see like somewhere, okay, this has that many, and this is their average dollar amount per person walking in and get to a roundabout sales. It's a very rudimentary way we've done that. But I'm curious, outside of foot traffic, what other metrics or what other things are you like 
doing in that program? And, and, and obviously it's all based on foot traffic, but anything else in there? That was super interesting what you just told us because uh, I think there's a lot of users of Placer and other location analytics on this, sh listening to this now. Yeah, so we've, I think, and I wasn't part of this because it was before I joined, but I believe that we got them to put a lot of our third-party data into the Placer system so that we can look at demographics on a trade area level um, of shopping centers. So that's been incredibly helpful because we can say, you know, a 70% trade area around a location has household income of $100,000 or whatever it might be. Um, and that's definitely useful uh, when you're looking at certain clients. We know what their customer demographic is and we're able to match that up. Super interesting. So that would be something else. <clears throat> um, what are some stuff we can expect you to write about in the near future? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot of um, features with specific brands. So I'm pretty excited about one coming out in January that I'll just say is with a very prominent DTC brand that was one of the first open stores. And I think that'll be a really interesting uh, piece with a lot of great information. Um, and then I have a trend piece coming out in January for 2023, probably, you know, copying some of what we talked about today, but uh, that will definitely come out. Um, and then, yeah, I'm always looking for brands to pitch me. They have interesting things that are coming out, interesting stories. Um, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that's coming out. I've been getting, I will say, I've been getting so many pitches, like I would say tenfold from earlier in the year of young brands opening stores and then also experiential concepts opening up that want to pitch you to write a story yeah that's how it works a lot of times is they'll send me a message asking if i'll write about them but i'm very selective <laughs> but it does give me good ideas got it well we are mm -hmm. how did you become a forbes contributor uh, I just messaged them. I used to write on my website. Obviously, you don't get as many writer or viewers on there. Um, and I had some experience when I was in university writing for Elite Daily. So they saw that and they saw my experience and they were like, we don't have anyone that writes about retail real estate on the team. Um, so there was just an opening for it. I think there's a lot of people that write about retail in general, but not a lot of people that focus on the physical aspect and on the real estate aspect of it. So I'm like signed up in the Forbes member council and I, I got to write something for 2022 and I've got something. I might send it to you to proofread for me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, cool. Well, listen, you got any good holiday plans? Family stuff, you know, the usual, but I have like a week off, so I'm going to actually work on some of my writing while I don't have work to do. Got it. Well, mm -hmm. um, I want to take us to the last part of the show. We call it retail wisdom. I got three questions for you. You ready? All right. Yeah. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? So earlier this year, or a few months ago, I talked to Vibu, who runs Solana Spaces, and he used to be the founder of Beta. And I was really sad when I researched that article that Beta had closed. Um, so I know that's a very fresh one that 
has gone to the dead, but I yeah, wish that it, it they had a lot of cool products dead. in there. Yeah. I didn't buy anything yeah. when I was in there though. That was the thing. I didn't, it, it felt yeah. a little sharper yeah, energy was, to me. I think it was more of a marketing platform, really. Like that was like a pure marketing platform because it was an experience. You go in there and you might go buy something online, but you experience the product in the store in a really cool way. Okay. Question two, what's the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Uh, I had Christmas shopping. So a pair of sweatpants for my niece <laughs> at Roots, which is Canadian. I know it. Babe. It's a good store. Yeah. yeah. All right. Question three, Bryn. And I know they're not in Canada. And for everyone who doesn't know, Bryn's in Toronto. Cool city. Um, <laughs> and I know they're not in Canada anymore, but I ask everyone. If you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? I would say I'm a sucker for home good products, specifically throw pillows or blankets. Probably have way too many of them. Uh, enjoy decorating my home a lot. So yeah, that tends to be my Target purchase. I lived in the States for a long time, so Target was a place I went quite a bit. Where'd you live? Uh, San Francisco and New York. Two great cities. Okay. Well, Bryn, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great holiday. And uh, keep doing what you're doing and looking forward to reading some of your articles. And I, I know I got you on the spot, but I'm going to send you to proofread my article before Forbes releases it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. It was a fun conversation. And yeah, happy holidays. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at Retail Retold at DLCMGMT.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.